Hello again and welcome to the program. You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. If this causes you to go, oh, flip, it should, because there needs to be a gravitas. We're not playing around now. This is serious. For some people, life on this planet is pain and then you die. If life is what you make it, death is final and that's all there is to it, then it's a fairly dismal prospect, isn't it? But as the saying goes, but wait, there's more. Life does not end at the grave. Dr Corbett has been exploring the Apostle Paul's epistles to the people of Corinth, and this week he may well have the news you've been waiting for. Tonight, Dr. Corbett looks at how every believer can discover their ministry. Let's join him now. Today, I'm concluding the Corinthian series. For those who, who listen to the podcast, you'll get another two episodes. But today, we conclude it here. And we've been looking at an exposition through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And today, I want to have you leave this time together going, ah, oh, that's what I've got to be doing. Right, now I get it. Because I want to look at how every believer can discover their ministry. If I was to ask a football player who's a part of perhaps a professional AFL football team, what's your role here in this team? What do you have to do? And they may answer you know, based on their position or they may give the big picture. And the big picture would be, my role here is to help our team win. That's it, help our team win. And in that sense, if they don't have that big goal in mind, their role actually doesn't make much sense. So sometimes people stress about, what does God want me to do? When in fact, what God wants you to do, he's already revealed in his word. And let's just do that. And you can worry about the details. He'll move you like a chess piece to the place on the chessboard where you need to be if you're prepared to see the big picture. So with that in mind... I want to just point out that where we've come up to here, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church. Corinth was a part of a, a land appendage to Greece, connected by a, a land bridge that in the 1800s was actually a, a channel was put through it to allow shipping to come, come through and it just saved days of uh, sea travel. And at the time, Corinth was repopulated by the Romans who had bequeathed or given to soldiers as part of their, I guess, their retirement reward, a, land, a piece of land on Corinth. And, and over time, Corinth became a centre of incredible sexual sin. At the top of Mount Corinth was a temple to Aphrodite. And it sort of flavoured the whole culture of Corinth and it even influenced the church as well. And so the church in Corinth became a little bit lax in its moral standards. And Paul in 1 Corinthians had to deal with one of the worst cases of that laxity. And so having dealt with that, it created a whole lot of other issues. And Paul has been doing that. What I haven't told you is that at the time this was going on, Paul was in Ephesus and he was going through a fair bit of turmoil there. So he had it coming all fronts. In fact, there was uh, attempts to, to take his life. There, was, there were people that were slandering him and the persecution was intense. He actually barely refers to it up until this point to his epistles to the Corinthians. Later on, those who listen to the podcast will see that he actually lists what was going on while he was writing this. And I've mentioned a couple of things here about Paul's character. 
the first one that we saw when he opened Second Corinthians, he's just received report that there was another wave of attack on him as a person and him as an apostle and he's really angry like he's really really angry and yet when you read this first chapter of second corinthians he doesn't let loose he in fact he he talks very very tenderly and i I pointed out that there's a lesson in that for every father to realize that sometimes your children can do things in absolute defiance of your authority and it can make you quite angry and when we ponder that this is sometimes I think this is how God must feel about some things that we do too. I'm speaking from personal experience. And yet God is often, more often than not, very tender toward us. And Paul was very tender. And he actually refers to this in his epistles to the Corinthians where he says, you have many teachers, these false teachers, of course, but you don't have any fathers and I have been a father to you. So he's writing very intentionally as a father, as someone who, you know, sometimes fathers, you might know this story, your children will say, oh, dad, can you, can you just, can you give me a few hundred dollars to get the latest, sorry, a few thousand dollars to get the latest iPhone? You're going, you've got the, the I was going to say hydro bill, what do we call it now? TAS Networks bill, the electricity bill, the water bill, the rates bill, your mortgage payment's just gone up um, to 17.5%, it seems, and... You've got financial pressure going on and your child's asking you for a couple of thousand dollars to get the latest iPhone so that they can, I don't know, appear trendy and whatever that is. And what's the temptation here? The temptation is to say, listen here, kid. Do you know what it's like being an adult? (laughs) And you could go through the list. and, And I guess in some sense, Paul has not really told the Corinthians what he's been going through in the midst of all of their relatively petty attack on him. And now Paul is just going to give a few clues. He's just going to give a little bit of a hint that there's stuff while he's writing this to them and trying to deal with their squabbles and their issues. He's actually been going through a fair bit too and no one's asked. Like they have not asked. They have no concern for where he's really at. And so it's worth pointing out as we, if you've got your Bible, if you start in, well, we're going to be in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. I just want to point out the very first thing I want us to notice, that this life, if you've lived a bit, you will experience pain. You will experience, I was going to say disappointment, but that's not true. Disappointments. You will have regrets because of the mistakes and the things you've done and Kim's alluded to that in in her offering talk and but this is not all there is to life this is not all there is so with that in mind I want you now to consider how Paul starts this chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed what's he tent where'd that come from you'll see just track with this for a moment We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul is describing his physical body as a tent. Now, if you've been camping, you know what you do with a tent. You set it up, you pack it down and pack it away and away you go. And Paul's essentially saying that's how his body is right now. His body is a tent 
that's had rocks thrown at it. He's like literally. His body is a tent that has had people kick him, whip him. And all of this is mentioned later on in chapter 11 where he actually lists it. All the things that have happened. But, but he says this house feels like it's being destroyed. My body feels like it's just about at its limit. I'm worn out from all the trials that have been inflicted on me by others. But he says, that's okay. I'm going to put this tent aside and I'm going to get a house from God. It has an eternal quality to it. In other words, no one's going to destroy that one. And he's actually talking about his body and it's the hope of every Christian that when Christ culminates our life and time itself on what the Bible calls the last day, we will receive not just another new tent, but a new body, our home. So this is what we need to understand. That can only be true if life does not end at the grave, and life does not end at the grave. And for those who have accepted God's invitation, the invitation to be forgiven of our sins, as Tom mentioned over communion, to have our guilt and shame washed away, to have our identity, which is a part of the reputation, it's what people think of us, to have that slate cleaned, to be made new. That's the invitation. If we accept that invitation, God doesn't just say, I will forgive you, I will adopt you. You'll be my child. I have an inheritance that is immeasurable and it'll be all yours that's the invitation what awaits a new immortal that is incorruptible never get sick never age never weary never feel pain a new immortal body awaits oh and there are days when i say bring it on in this tent, Paul says, we groan, longing to be put, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, this body, we groan. Some of you groan and it's got nothing to do with the hope and longing for the resurrection. You're just groaners. Being burdened, you know who you are. Not that we would be unclothed, but we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, that is, it's going to end, may be swallowed up by life. Not death, life. That is an immortal body. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee is kind of like a deposit. It's, the language would be more akin to us today. Putting a deposit on something, it means that thing can't be sold. And there's more to come. There's the deposit. I'll go and get the rest. And God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. It's a deposit and there's more to come. And we might call that moment when believers said, God, I acknowledge 
that I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I have broken your law. But God, I now realize I've broken your heart. Please forgive me. Lord, I accept that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to bear my sin, my guilt, my shame on the cross. And for us, it's 2,000 years. But for Paul's audience, it was 20 years. And here, the child of God who has done that experiences the Holy Spirit as he transforms our dead soul. And dead in the eyes of God doesn't mean ceases to be or ceases to exist. Dead means separated from james it says the body without the spirit or the body separated from the spirit is dead the spirit's still there the body's still there but they're separated and the soul that is separated from god is spiritually dead and yet when we confess our sins and ask for god's forgiveness and accept his invitation to be his son or daughter The Holy Spirit comes into our life, breathes into our dead soul, and it comes back to life. If you want the big word, the big word for that is regeneration, mentioned in Titus. Regeneration. This is phase one of God's plan for you and me. It's phase one of what the Holy Spirit's going to do in us because when we put off this tent and put on our new dwelling, as Paul calls it, the Holy Spirit will transform us entirely. Mission complete. So we are always of good courage, Paul says. We know that while we are at home in the body, because it feels like it, doesn't it? It feels like this is our home. We are away from the Lord. Flip that around to be at true home is to be with the lord but in the meantime paul's saying people insult us people ridicule us people say horrible things and they do horrible things to us they betray us and they physically hurt us but we don't look at that we look with our eyes of faith to what god is going to do for us that's why paul says for we walk by faith not by sight Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's an amazing perspective on how to get your priorities right, to realise this is not our home. This is our tent. (laughs) We are just passing through and this tent one day will be packed up and done away with and then we will receive a new body, a new dwelling that will be immortal it will never decay and we will be able to enjoy god more fully so whether we are at home or away we make it our aim to please him and that's what every believer does what's the purpose of life to please him what's your pursuit in life to please him God, how can I please you today? Wake up every morning. God, what a great prayer. God, today, how can I bring pleasure to you? How can I serve you? And God, I know that you hate sin. Please help me to hate sin. And if you read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21, you'll see 27 things that Paul tells the Romans. These are the hallmarks of a mature believer. And one of them is, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. 
As Christians, we should be really good lovers and really good haters. But don't take me out of context. To love what is good and beautiful, true and right, and hate what is not. Hate what is evil and wicked and should not be. And may that be our prayer that God will help us to love like we should love and to hate those things that he hates. May that be our prayer. And at the end of time itself, Paul's going to refer to this. On the last day, the day of judgment, all people will stand before God's judgment throne and they will be judged by God. We read this in the book of Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about on that day there was a great, there's a great white throne and on the throne is God and the books are opened. And we read through scripture that every time you pray a prayer, that prayer is recorded in a book. I'm sure it's symbolism and metaphor, but it means that everything you've ever prayed is recorded. Everything you've ever said, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, everything you've ever said, even when no one else has heard, God's heard, and those words are recorded. And Jesus said, for every word you speak, you'll give an account of it on the day of judgment. If this causes you to go, oh, flip, it should. Because there needs to be a gravitas, a sense of this is not, we're not playing around now. This is serious. Michael Dixon, who couldn't be with us today, has a sign right near his door and it says fishing. It's not a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. So you can rightly scold him when you see him for that bad philosophy because... What is more important than life and death? Getting your... Not fishing. (laughs) Not listening. It's getting your soul right with God. It's, It's getting your sins forgiven. Getting your peace with God. That's the most important thing. And it is literally more important than life and death. And this will all be determined on the day of judgment. There is coming a day of judgment. We will all stand before God on that day of judgment. Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Kim and I didn't compare notes today. But when she said when she became a Christian, she felt incredibly unworthy. And I hope there are times when each of us as followers of Christ feel completely unworthy. And the reason for that is because we are. We are unworthy. Tony Campolo tells the the time when he was praying in a, a staff meeting at his Bible college, I think it was, or seminary. And he's with the other professors of Bible and theology and church history and so on. And, and he prays this prayer, Oh God, we are worthless creatures. And some, as soon as he said worthless creatures, worthless people, another professor of theology piped in and said, Excuse me, Tony, we're not worthless. We're unworthy. And there is a difference. Do you hear the difference? We are worth something to God and so is the person beside you we are of immeasurable worth but we are unworthy 
because of our defiance and rebellion to God. And we, even though we've been forgiven, there is a sense when the enemy will come and he will say, you're unworthy to be a Christian. And our answer should be to the devil. And please, I don't want you to get into the habit of talking to the devil. But if this imaginary confrontation happens, your response to the devil at that point can be, you're right. I am unworthy. Isn't it amazing that the infinitely holy God would choose to give me something I am unworthy of? His love, his forgiveness, his mercy. Excuse me, devil, I just dropped on my knees and worshipped this God for that. <laughs> we are unworthy, but we're not worthless. I think we need to get a sense of this. The believer is deeply impacted by our unworthiness. And yet the gravitas, the seriousness of God's mercy. There was a, a young kid by the name of Rich. And uh, his parents took him to church every Sunday. And he was a rebel. And he was living a double life, really. And he was sort of mocking his parents because they didn't know what he was really up to through the week. And then he'd come to church and he'd hear all this stuff and he'd just switch off. And his dad became aware of his son and his condition. And he began to pray for Rich. And his mother, on the other hand, whenever she was angry with her son, she didn't call him Rich or Richie. She called him Richard. And both of his parents began to pray for their son, as all parents should. And their prayers continued. And then one night... Rich tells this story that he went to bed and he had a dream, a very vivid dream. And he was standing in a long queue and he realised he was in a queue leading up to a, a throne. And as he heard, as he got closer to that throne, as the line sort of went through, he saw angels flying from the throne with, a, with a, like a rod. And when the words, Be gone, came from the throne... The angel would come over to this person and tap them and they were sent straight to hell. And then it was his turn and he heard his name coming from the throne as he stood before the throne and he heard his name, Richard, and poof, he woke up and he realised, I need to get right with God. That's the level of gravitas that we need to have. This is not a game. Life is not a game. This is really serious. A few weeks ago, Jurian, I don't want to embarrass you. It's not about you, sort of. Although you've given me lots of material, but I'm not going to use it. A friend of Jurian's, whom I hope you don't mind me saying this, Jurian, but you had shared with him Christ. And Jurian recently, you know, given his life to Christ and said to his friend who was enticing Jurian to do the wrong thing and Jurian said, I don't need that. I've got Jesus. You should try Jesus too. I think it was kind of the gist of the conversation. A few days later, Jurian's friend went riding along a dirt road, too fast, hit a tree, and died instantly. Now, we don't know what happened in those final moments. We don't know. And Jurian, we don't know if what you said to him in those final moments moments changed his life i hope they did but none of us know when our last heartbeat will be 
Therefore, Paul says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. You can hear what Paul's saying now. In the midst of all your petty strife and all your pettiness, and Paul alludes to the fact that he's going through stuff, but he said, my heart is focused on Christ, and that's where I want yours to be as well. And in the midst of all this, I need you to understand life is short. Life is not a game. You need to get your hearts and minds and souls right before God because you don't know when your last heartbeat will be. And you know that in the fear of the Lord, you know we're sincere about this. We're not playing a game. Not like the false teachers who are out to get your money, is the unspoken statement here. The believer is deeply moved by the love of God, as Kim mentioned over the offering talk. When you experience the love of God, Romans 5 says he pours his love into us. He pours his love into us. The moment we accept his forgiveness, the moment we turn to him, the moment we say, God, I'm not worthy of your forgiveness, but God, please forgive me. And he does. We are transformed by his love and we are able to love people whom we never thought we could love. We begin to feel a burden for the eternal destiny of our friends, our neighbours. I go through a shopping centre and I can't help it. And before God, I'm telling you this, I go into a shopping centre, I see people around me and I begin to pray for their salvation. I pray for their salvation. I don't just stand in a line of people and go... I am a groaner, by the way, but not out loud in a queue at the supermarket uh, checkout. But I think each of these people are precious souls before God. God, please transform their lives. Transform them. Help them to see their need for a saviour. Because when you're full of the love of God, you begin to feel a burden for the lost, those who do not know Christ, and worse still, those who do not want to know Christ. They love their sin more than what God has designed for them. And when, they love, when people love their sin, they give their full priority to that sin and that's what's called worship. And then that makes that thing an idol. And for some people, they do it with their sexual preferences. What a terrible thing. Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. You either accept death, the death of Christ or you'll take it on your own chin and you'll stand before God and pay the price for your own sin and that will be eternal, everlasting death and separation from God. The one who died for you or all will die. There's your options. There's no other option. And he died for all, Paul says, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him, for their sake who died, for their sake died and was raised. And we've heard about this this morning. We've sung about it, about the lamb, the line of Judah rather, who rose. So we're transformed. We begin to work differently. We begin to 
study differently. We begin to treat people differently because the Holy Spirit has transformed us. We are changed. And so it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to truly come to know who Jesus really is. Because if you don't, you'll just think, oh yeah, he's a guy that lived 2,000 or so years ago. He was a carpenter. He obviously had long hair. And he you know, was a good teacher, I suppose. And he got killed and died. And yeah, big deal. And if that's how you know Jesus, you do not know Jesus. And Paul says that's knowing Jesus according to the flesh. But when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and opens your heart and opens your ears, you don't know him like that anymore. You begin to see him for who he really is. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, when we just thought he was just a man, we regard him thus no longer. The person who turns from the worship of their sins to the worship of the Saviour can only do so if they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And if that's what you want, I suggest start praying for that right now, literally right now while I'm speaking. Holy Spirit, come and transform my life. C.S. Lewis talking about this transformation in mere Christianity in about chapter 30 of his book, he said this, because that transformation Jesus describes as taking a sinner and making them a child of God who will be perfect. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus said. And so we have C.S. Lewis saying this. He meant what he said. Those who put themselves in his hands will become perfect as he is perfect. Perfect in love, wisdom, joy, beauty and immortality the change will not be completed in this life for death is an important part of the treatment and it is and there is so much more i could say about that how far the change will have gone before the believer dies before death in any particular christian is uncertain but paul in writing to timothy says that godliness is profitable for the life to come. In other words, the closer you get to Christ in this life and maintain that walk with him will have a bearing on your eternity. We are transformed instantly by the Holy Spirit. We continue to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We no longer live according to the ways of the world. We do things like what we do with our money, what we do with our relationships, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, one of the consequences of this, Paul says, is do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's why a Christian young man should not have a non-Christian girlfriend. A Christian young lady should not have a non-Christian boyfriend. For what partnership, Second uh, chapter 6 verse 14, has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness don't do that don't be united to someone who's not a believer as a boyfriend or a girlfriend let alone wife or husband therefore if anyone is in christ paul says he she is a new creation the old 
has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the what ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. There's your ministry. There's your ministry. Oh, I wonder what ministry is. If you're asking that now, you haven't been listening to a thing I've just said. Because I didn't say it. Paul said it. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I suspect that just like chess pieces on a chessboard, he will use us in different places in life and society. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It sounds like there's been a big fight, and now two parties have to be reconciled. And if it sounds like that, you're hearing it correctly. We need to be reconciled to God. Mankind originally had a creation mandate. Dress till, keep the land, look after this. That was the original creation mandate. But the redeemed mankind, those who know Christ, those who've turned their lives over Christ, now have another mandate, and that is the recreation mandate. To see people reconciled to God. This is a, so close to the heart of God. If you get close enough, you'll hear it go. You'll hear his heartbeat. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Get that. Jesus never sinned. A recent Pew Research poll of American Christians asked the question, did Jesus ever sin? And 50%, I think it was, said, yes, he sinned. Which is like stupid. We might become the righteousness of God because Christ never sinned and he gave his life we give him his there's the exchange I'm going to come back after this song goodness love and mercy describing the character and nature of God let's pray father I ask Lord that by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus you would transform each one of us. Each one of us. Father, transform me by your Holy Spirit. Take out those things from my life that shouldn't be there. Put those things in that should. And Father, for each one of us, help us to live as if life belongs to you and that our mission is to please you. God, for those of us who have slipped and stumbled and perhaps dropped the ball a bit, may we turn around and come to you and say, Father, I have let you down. Please forgive me. And the promise of the word of God is that he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now for those who've never given their life to Christ, you've never come to that point of surrender. You're not a million miles away. You are just one prayer away. One prayer away. One prayer that asks God, please forgive me. Come into my life. Help me to live for you. 
you pray a prayer like that, I can guarantee you your life will be different from this moment. This moment. And now, Lord, I pray that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select How Every Believer Can Discover Their Ministry from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, this life of pain, disappointments and regrets is not all there is. So when we have been transformed by the Spirit, how do we respond to those? around us. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.